Don't call it a comeback. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, girl. my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. You eat a chicken sandwich? This is the Press Box. The best is their chicken minis, which are these little small rolls that they have butter all over them and like a chicken nugget inside of it, and they're delicious. I got to get out more, man. I have a slice of wheat toast. With Grainy and Bischoff. I got to get out more. On ESPN Las Vegas. Off the toast here at the house, ESPN 1100-100.9 FM. It's Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Thank God it's Friday is right. Let's get to it. The First Bite. Does the Golden Knights front office deserve blame for last night's loss? <laughs> uh, we're going to do I, I have a feeling Tyler's about to do a deep dive into salary cap restrictions. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, we'll go to the salary cap second. I mean, obviously you can't, uh, can't uh, predict uh, Stevenson's going to get three games or Reeves is going to get hurt. So there were some things of why they were short last night. But I'm going to let the stage go to you because my guess is we're headed to the salary cap and why they couldn't call up reinforcements. Well, yeah. I mean, of course they deserve blame. They played with 10 <laughs> forwards last night. There we go. They, they, they didn't have four lines. They had three lines in Keegan Colasar. Like, that was Who it. never played it, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> he barely like, played. So, like, the front office absolutely deserves blame because they're offseason. They put the team in this spot where – if you remember, like before the season started, they were still over the cap right up until the start of the season. And then they, uh, what did they put Nick Holden on waivers and they played games with five defensemen because they that was the only way they could have a cap compliant team. Like they started off this season with, you know, roster problems because of the salary cap and because of the offseason the Golden Knights had. And then they some guys got hurt so long-term IR existed and everything was fine for a while. But then... You have Chandler Stevenson suspended, you have Zach Whitecloud hurt, you have Ryan Reeves hurt, and all of a sudden the Golden Knights don't have enough players to play, because here's, in a, in a normal roster, right, you would have 21 players that you could use. You right. would have extra skaters that you could call in if Ryan Reeves is hurt, or sure. if Chandler Stevenson gets suspended. Gets suspended, because the, yeah. because the Golden Knights are so tight against the cap, they don't have those extra skaters. Normally you would. They don't have them because they're so tight against the cap. So they absolutely deserve blame for what happened yesterday and the fact that they had to play with 10 forwards and 6 defensemen and literally could not call anyone else up because of the salary cap. That is absolutely on the front office. But I think the more important question is, do you think it was a big deal that one game in April they had to play with 10 forwards? If it is, then they've got a bigger problem than what you're talking about. If one if one game means that much, uh, got a point out of it. I'm sure they're happy with that. Even now, Pete DeBoer afterwards, you know, you never know what coaches feel, you know, honestly inside because they're going to say, you know, what you know. Obviously, management wants them on both sides. But when he comes out and says, "Well, that didn't have anything to do with it. I like the way we played," that might be true that he liked the way they played, but. It's sort of silly in a way that you can say that you had 10 guys and that didn't have anything to do with it, much be, much because how much guys had to play. Like we were talking about Kolasar, I mean, he was the only one on the fourth line and, you know, he played very little. <laughs> um, you know, he, he got robbed a couple times, at least once. Um, so, yeah, I mean, 
I don't think of the big picture it means much at all. I do think it's a little funny, but it's typical coach speech. And when DeBoer says, well, it didn't make that much of a difference, of course it made, of course it made that much of a difference. You don't want guys having to play that much. Right. So last night, Keegan Colasar played nine shifts the entire game. Uh, think about that. That. Ended up, that ended up being just over seven minutes of ice time. Um, what that meant, though, is that Mark Stone played 25 shifts and played 25 minutes and four seconds. Uh, the context behind that is that Mark Stone is averaging 18 minutes a game this year. Yeah. So he played almost seven full minutes more than he's averaging. He has only topped 21 minutes one time this season. Uh, he, again, he was over 25 last night. And fun fact, the game he topped 21 minutes was Wednesday. So the most he's ever played in a Golden Knights jersey was Wednesday and then Thursday back-to-back games. And Mark Stone's just one example. Petrangelo, Wah, Stone, Marshall, Carlson, Smith, Noshik, they all played uh, season high in minutes last yeah. night. Now, it's one game. Uh, there's, a, there's a rule that if you play with fewer than the maximum amount of skaters, you can have emergency call-ups. So the Golden Knights should be able to play tomorrow against the Minnesota Wild with a full roster uh, using those emergency call-ups. So it's one game in April. You know, they're in a playoff spot. It's not really that big of a deal because this team is not truly fighting for a playoff spot. Maybe at the end of the year, if they miss the number one seed by a point, you can look back and say, well, it kind of cost them there. But ultimately, it's not a massive deal. It's just funny because you don't really see teams in that position where they literally can't call up anybody to come fill the roster out for a game and they play with down two forwards like you you rarely see teams play down one let alone down two yeah and because most people i i would think have a little you know more grasp of what's going to happen with the salary cap and their salary cap was too tight so you when this happens it's you know a rarity that gets a lot of publicity because it it doesn't happen very much uh again we don't know Reeves and White Cloud how serious any things are. I mean, Reeves, uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, skated the other night against the Kings before he came off. So I'm yeah. guessing it's not that serious if he was actually on the ice before he called himself off. Um, maybe White Cloud's the same thing. So I'm sure uh, tomorrow night they'll have a full complement of players and you know try to get the split against them. Um, I thought Robin Leonard was good. I, well, the, both goalies were really good. Um, I, you know, uh, I thought, you know, the, the Knights had three or four just point-blank chances, chances that were just stolen. So the fact that it went to overtime, I felt a little more in terms of Minnesota being uh, somewhat fortunate. Um, but, yeah, I thought I thought Leonard was really good again. And, you know, they lose in the shootout. So, once again, we have Robin Leonard playing pretty well. Be really interesting to see now how Marc-Andre Fleury bounces back tomorrow night. I assume he's going to start from that, King, that Kings effort. Yeah, and, you know, with a full roster in front of him, might be very helpful. Should be fine. <laughs> but I, yeah, what I what I enjoy the most is that over over the last two and a half three seasons, Robin Leonard's probably been one of the top fifteen, maybe top ten goalies in in all of hockey. Like he's been really good for a few years now, but he is so bad in shootouts. Like he's yeah. so, like just like and it's funny and it's even funnier because the Golden Knights had Malcolm Subban who's like the greatest shootout goalie in the history of the sport. And then Marc-Andre Fleury, who's also excellent in shootouts. Oh, he's really good. He's really yeah. good. But Robin Leonard, like the the, the one the goal that he saved last night, he bit on three fakes before the shot went off the post and yeah. then off his pad and out. He bit on three fakes 
and it still didn't end up in the back of the net because the net is too damn small in the sport. And then when he got beat, the post actually saved him, but it went off his back and yeah. into the goal. Like, shootouts are kind of dumb, but it's also funny watching Robin Leonard in shootouts because he's just, he's just not good at them. Like, he's just not good in that situation. Cam Talbot was really good last night. He, I thought he was really good. Like I said, the Colasar won. I think Carlson won, and the advantage kind of was right there at the door. I mean, he he made some nice saves last night. Uh, it's again, it just I don't know. I mean, I think these guys may be coming off two losses to the Sharks, I believe. And there's just and look, shorthanded uh, and the roster, you know, didn't help the Golden Knights last night. But I don't know, man. You fall to second, and it's a two-three matchup. I don't think it's an automatic against these guys. There is something about this team when they play the Golden Knights that they kind of step up and are pretty good. We'll see what happens tomorrow night, but I think the Golden Knights would much, much rather uh, not breaking any news here, go in the 1-4 matchup, and whether it's St. Louis, Arizona, whoever. You go 2-3 against them. If you have to go Minnesota, Colorado back-to-back, it is not a given that they'd get out of the West. Yeah, especially how St. Louis is playing now yeah. because there, yeah. there was a point in this season where it was like, okay, there's, there's a big four in the West because Minnesota's playing a lot better than anybody expected. And you know, the golden Knights, they, they play Minnesota and they're usually close games. They're usually good oh, games. Yeah. Co- Colorado's obviously dominant. And when they've played St. Louis for the most part, they play they ridiculous five, four games. Like yeah. it's they're fun games, but they're close. And so there was a point where you could say, yeah, as long as you kind of avoid Colorado in the first round, it's going to be a fairly tough matchup either way. Mm. But now, the way the Blues are playing, and if it's Arizona that gets into the four seed, or I know. God, I if, know. The Kings, if the Kings somehow wow. get into the four seed, I like agree. you absolutely want the one seed because Minnesota's much, much closer to Vegas and Colorado absolutely. than anybody yeah. else in this division. And I, I would still expect the Golden Knights to win a first-round series against Minnesota, but if you get the two... All of a sudden, you're talking about playing a much better team in round one in Minnesota yeah. that can definitely beat you. And then you don't have home ice advantage when you play Colorado. Eh, we'll see how much that matters, how many fans are in the buildings once you get to the playoffs. But, that, that I mean, there was a point where I would have thought it doesn't really matter what seed you get. But I think we're trending to a point where it, it is going to matter. And it could be a pretty big difference for the Golden Knights, whether they get the one or the two. Oh, I think it's a huge difference. I mean, again, and I'm just kind of going on what we've seen the last, you know, few years against this Minnesota team. I know teams change and things are different, but this just seems to be, whether it's a, a you know, closer matchup or a bad matchup, I, I don't know. We've had people on here trying to explain it, whether it be Darren or, or the other guys we have on here, but this is not, if they get into a seven with these guys, it's it's not going to be any kind of sweep or anything. This team plays them really, really well. I'd make the argument the last few years, they play them as well as anyone, maybe even more so than Colorado, as good as Colorado is right now. I mean, Minnesota, they, they have tough things to deal with. So that would be a very interesting first-round series in a best-of-seven. Yeah, I, I think I think the West playoffs will be pretty fun. Um, and yeah. if we don't get Vegas-Colorado in the second round, it'll be kind of disappointing. Like, if even... Oh, if Minnesota, absolutely. If, if Minnesota pulled off an upset, or if, Jesus, Arizona or St. Louis upset Colorado or right. something like that, like... I would be I would be disappointed to not see the Golden Knights and Avalanche play a seven game series yes. in the second round. That because that's I mean, as you know, Minnesota's been better than expected, and as nice as that is for Minnesota, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> we don't want to see that. We want to see Vegas and Colorado play each other. Are you suggesting it won't be as fun when you have Minnesota and St. Louis in the second round? No, it will be a nightmare, and yeah. we should not watch it if it's Minnesota-St. Louis in the second <laughs> round. We should boycott the NHL playoffs if Vegas and Colorado both get eliminated from the West, because uh, good God, we talk about this division not being any good. 
if Minnesota or St. Louis is the team in the Final Four, that's just a nightmare. Uh, what if it's Arizona? God. What if it's the Kings, Ed? What if it's the Kings? Oh, put the Kings in the Final Four. What a what a nightmare you would be. Yeah. Well, saying goodbye to my daughter. She's going back to college. This is what we do on home radio. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the beauty of home radio. We're really do we're really we're really multitasking at this point. Does, does uh, she so. want to jump on and give us like any nah. like final words? Nah, she's late for her flight. Had to give her had to give her the hug. So uh, this is what happens at home, Jared. Yeah, you, you, you got to move on. Does she feel left out that you didn't buy a big flag for her college and only for your son? I told you, I told you the deal around here. If you don't make the Sweet Sixteen, you don't get a flag. <laughs> I already told you that. If you don't make the Sweet 16, don't ask for a flag. She she thought the flag was a little outrageous, by the way. I mean, she she did think it was a little like, oh, my God, look how big this thing is. Could you have gone a little smaller? Uh, I said, no, make the Sweet 16. The Sweet 16, her team needs, her school needs to make the tournament for once in 30 years. She has no, she has no chance at a flag, to tell you the truth. Oh, what is she, going to UNLV or something like that? <laughs> no. Oh, oh, here we go. Oh. No, All she right. does not. She does not. Coming up next. Uh, we'll get into the Raiders because uh, Willie Sneed said he's excited to play in the Raiders scheme, but I'm not sure if Willie Sneed's actually going to play very much. Two, And Myers hits it well out to deep left field. Forget it. That one is going to go. Back-to-back -back home runs in the third, and it's 4-1 to one, San Diego. Two balls, one strike. Here's the pitch to Cabrera and a ground ball right side. Cronenworth in the shift gets the big hop. Back on the outfield grass. Throw to first in time. That is the ball game, and that is a winner. On opening day, the Padres and Diamondbacks play a wild one, but it ends the right way with San Diego in front, 8-7. to seven. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. You're NL West leading San Diego Padres. We'll Wait. get more into baseball. I, uh, not too I'm, long. I'm, I'm sorry, I missed it. I was doing something. He said ended the right way. Was that the Golden Knights or the Padres? I didn't, I didn't like you know. All right, did here you, we go. Here we go. Here we go. Does your other daughter have to go to college too? No, no, no. I only have one daughter and uh, one son. Uh, what time is it? Seven fifteen. He'll be up in about four hours. So yeah, it's, uh, I won't have to say goodbye to anyone else this morning. So we'll get more into baseball in a few minutes. Uh, Austin Gale is going to join us at seven thirty. Uh, but I, I have become fascinated this off season with players that have either left the Raiders or joined the Raiders, talking about why they did or didn't want to play. For the Raiders, Willie Sneed is the most recent one. Uh, he uh, said, I think it was the Raiders.com, he said, I just felt like if there was any offense in the league that I feel like I can fit in right away and create a big impact, it was this offense. The scheme that Gruden runs, I think just for me as a playmaker, I can come in here and just really do what I used to do in New Orleans, which was run a lot of routes, used all over the field in that aspect. So that's what really attracted me. Now, so Willie Sneed, whatever, fitting the offensive system. He was much more productive in New Orleans than he was in Baltimore the last couple of seasons. But when I read that, my first thought was, how much are they actually going to use Willie Sneed? Because I don't know that he's going to be one of the top five guys in targets this season. No, I don't I don't know if he is either. Um, I'm still, and we'll ask Austin this at 730, and, and, you know, everyone knows they need a free safety. Everyone knows they need a right tackle. That, that's no secret. So we'll see what happens around the draft and trades and everything like that. you got to give them time and then kind of, you know, evaluate it at the very end. But I'm still really surprised, I've got to be honest with you, 
they've added Snead and Brown. And I, I, I'm looking, I'm kind of wondering, like you're wondering, where are the targets going to go? You know, you have the Joker, uh, Kenyon Drake, you have, you know, Waller. I think they like Hunter Renfro. You know, you have the two young guys and Edwards and Ruggs. So I'm going to ask Austin, but I just, this kind of surprises me. I was thinking what you were thinking in the beginning. Like, if you could have gotten one of the top two or three guys, that's fine. But they all got tagged someone elsewhere, whatever. I'm just very interested in kind of journeyman coming in um, and with the idea if they sold him on this. Now, this is what he's saying, but I assume this is what their pitch was to him, um, that, you know, he's going to have this many targets and this is who he's going to be, which I guess is part of recruiting. You tell a guy probably what he wants to hear. But, no, I, I don't think he'll be top five in targets. I really don't. I, if, put it this way, unless something really happens with Willie Sneed kind of emerging and being, you know, having the best year of his career, if he's top five in targets, I mean, how good are they going to be? Right. And so you have Darren Waller who's obviously going to be the leading guy in terms yeah. of targets. And then be. you have some combination of John Brown, Hunter Renfro, and Henry Ruggs as your top three wide receivers. And then I assume they're going to throw the ball to Kenyon Drake quite a bit. Uh, they gave him hope. a lot of money, called him the Joker. Yeah. He said he's going to yeah. be used as a receiver. So I assume Kenyon Drake's going to get quite a lot of catches. Uh, that's five. And then Brian Edwards, is uh, that that's maybe the question. Is Willie Sneed ahead of Brian Edwards? Like you've got a second-year, third-round wide receiver that didn't play very much last year that they apparently still like a lot. Or Willie Sneed is a veteran who's had some decent seasons. But I can't see him being top five. And unless he beats out Brian Edwards, he's not really top six. He might get less targets than like Foster Moreau does this season. Who gets more targets? This maybe sound crazy, but you went through a lot of uh, wide receivers there. How close is Jacobs' targets compared to him? <sighs> uh, Jacobs is a tough one because you, you don't. Bring well, in, now they have the Joker, so right. You bring in Kenyon Drake, which and you give him eleven million guaranteed over two seasons, and you're ba- basically what that's telling me is either a the Raiders are going to completely waste that eleven million dollars guaranteed, or. Josh Jacobs is never going to see a pass the rest of his yeah. career as a Raider because what what else are you doing with Kenyon Drake if you don't use him as a yeah. pass catching back and as a receiver? I'm Jacobs will get some, but it just it feels like that role is is not going to be his because isn't Theo Riddick is still on the team, right? I believe he is. Yeah, so like yeah. you you. Theo Riddick is a third down pass catching specialist running back. So they like even the the third string running back on this team might end up with more targets than Josh Jacobs. <laughs> This season. If Josh Jacobs comes out again, what was it? 60, 60 catches that 60. he wanted last year. If he comes out again and that comes true, they overpaid for the Joker. Oh, I'm, no I'm just yeah. I'm, I'm going to tell you, if Josh Jacobs comes close to 60 catches, the Joker was not worth the money they paid him. And I don't know if the Joker was worth the money they paid him. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe the Joker's great and he has a great season. But I hope Josh Jacobs doesn't come out and say, I, I need this many catches. Like, uh, good luck beyond that. Now, here's my other question on this. So we we name off the guys that we think are going to get the most targets, right? Waller, Renfro, John Brown, Henry Ruggs, Kenyon Drake. Do you think they have a good group of skill position players? I think it's better than average, yeah. I mean, I, I think Waller's tremendous. I do think Renfro's a good player. I mean, it comes down to me, you know, how good, we don't really know yet probably, but how good really is Henry Ruggs? You know, I mean, yeah. I, Brian Edwards was really behind last year. Whatever, we'll see. They, you know, they say they like him and everything. But if Henry Ruggs doesn't turn out to be, and we saw what other rookie wide receivers did last year comparative to him, guys that went after him in the draft, I mean, if Henry Ruggs really doesn't take a step here, if he's healthy and take a step up, 
then I think you're right. Then maybe the skill isn't as good people think. Now, if he's tremendous and, you know, he catches a bunch of deep balls and he does what they thought, then yeah. But I think it's all about him because I think you can say kind of what you have in the other guys, right? I mean, whether it's the young guys or what they've done in their career, I don't know if you can say that about Henry Ruggs yet. It could go really bad or the guy could emerge like, all right, I got why they took him there. Yeah, Waller is obviously a great tight end. Yeah. And then John Brown is a wide receiver who's probably a, if he's your number one, he's probably a bad number one. If he's your number two, he's probably an average number two wide receiver. Hunter Renfro's probably an above average slot receiver in football. It, it really does come down to Henry Ruggs. If Henry Ruggs becomes better than John Brown this year, if Henry Ruggs is the best wide receiver on this team, if we're talking about, oh, Waller leads the team in catches and reception or catches and yards, and Ruggs is number two behind him, that's probably right. a good thing. And they probably have sure. very good skill position guys. Yeah. But if he is, you know, as bad as he was last year, if he struggles to get targets, if we're eight games in and John Gruden's saying, well, he doesn't get targets because he doesn't get open like he did last season, we're probably looking at a below average group of skill position guys. Like Waller makes up for a lot of it, but the actual receivers are going to be below average. And I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated to see the offense this year because they went really cheap on the offensive line. The skill positions also you could say are pretty cheap right now. John Brown and Willie Sneed didn't cost much, and they got a bunch of guys on their rookie contracts. And it's it's really like Derek Carr is the only guy on this offense that's paid a lot of money for this season. So how good is this offense actually going to be considering they they reworked a lot of it? They did a lot more work on this offense than I thought they would. So I'm curious to see can they still be, you know, right around that 9 to 11th best offense in football or do they take a step back and they're only like the 15th best offense yeah of all the guys they reworked and signed though I still think it's you know the jury's out on whether they overpaid the joker because they invested a lot in him and uh I I won't be surprised let's put it I won't be surprised if at any point in the season uh, probably you know several games in because you have to see how it works out that more and more people will say they overpaid for him I mean, I, I you know, we'll see. Maybe he's great. I mean, you know, he's got talent, obviously. I just thought, I thought when they signed him, and maybe something's still coming. Maybe it's happening. We don't know. I thought when they signed Kenyon Drake, my first question was, okay, are they working on something really big here, and are they going to move Josh Jacobs? Like something really big you and I have talked about in the past, like Blockbuster. Because I just didn't understand we're going to take Kenyon Drake and give him this much money, but we really have nothing else in the works. Like, the first thing I thought is, is something huge planner, and we haven't seen it yet. Now there's time, but we haven't seen it right now. It's just, hey, we signed Kenyon Drake for all this money, and he's going to be the Joker. Bring on the Russell Wilson trade. Is well, that that's, I mean, to? no, yeah, I mean, look, it's probably not going to happen. I get that, but it's just, they made some signings like that where you're like, okay, does that make sense unless they do something big? Like, what was the point of that? They need free safeties. They need right tackles. They need a lot of positions. And I just thought they paid a lot of money for a guy who's a good player. But you talk all the time about what's the need. I mean, did they need to do that unless they're going to follow up with something much bigger? Then it's like, okay, then you have to evaluate that. Right. If they had turned around and traded for Russell Wilson and Josh. Yeah, then you're like, okay, I got trade. Yeah, Yeah. would have made a lot of sense. Now, the problem with that is even though there's still time to trade for a Russell Wilson – the Seahawks did re-sign Chris Carson, so they re-signed right, a running right. back. So right. presumably they're not going to want a running back in a trade. However, yeah, I mean, Pete Carroll talked like 75 times about how they need to run the ball more this season, so maybe they want to have seven running backs up there. But that's, that's yeah, I that would have been, that would have made a little bit more sense had they done that, but uh, they didn't, and I don't know that they actually will. All right, coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show.
But but I'm, let me just say this, all right, because I, I want to be clear here. All right, all these offensive coaches on here, and I'm sure we got a few. I wish I could look at you when I say this to you. You guys are all part of the Taliban, man. All right, I mean, you're you're a part of Al Qaeda. You you have changed our game, all right, and made it so hard to play defense for all of us poor defensive guys that you know I, I can't sit in church without shaking my leg or you know my hands we're back to the press box with grady and bischoff jesus <laughs> joining us now is austin gale from pro football focus um austin do you feel bad for poor nick saban and the other defensive coaches in college football absolutely you should feel bad for all <laughs> defensive coaches I, I do think that um it's been so difficult to continue to play defense at a high level with how much the NFL and college football is catering to offenses. Why? To score more points. Why? To make more money. If that's what's happening. You, know, you want to score points. You want people in the stands. You want people to fall in love with the game. Whatever we can do to score more points, we're going to do. And defense is now on the outside looking in. I think it's actually Nick Saban's fault because he played that, what, 9-6 to six game against LSU like a decade ago? That It's his fault. That's when we all knew we needed more offense in this sport. And I think the real problem with that, too, it's not so much that you know, people like scoring because it's approachable. It's easier to understand. You know, big touchdowns, long receptions, those types of things. Good defense is not approachable. It is very difficult to understand how a Nick Saban-led defense can hold an offense to nine points. You know, what, what he has to do from a scheme and gap perspective, how he has to call his plays is very difficult. And I think that's why, again, those games aren't as fun to watch when you're looking at scoring big touchdowns and wide-open receivers and those types of things. All right, Austin, calling offense approachable there is the nicest way I've ever heard somebody say football fans are dumb. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying football <laughs> fans are dumb. I'm just saying the average fan is looking for approachability when they got a beer in hand and a jersey on. <laughs> How approachable will, from de- a defensive mind, be Willie Sneed this year? Will they have to approach My him at all? Goodness. Because we don't think he's going to be top five in targets. What is going on in Las Vegas? Can we ask the question? Yeah, they re-signed Zay Jones. They signed Willie Snead. They signed John Brown. They obviously bring in a ton of veteran talent there with a ton of young receiving talent. Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro, and obviously Brian Edwards, the guy that they were hyping up to be the next Randy Moss in training camp a year ago. And meanwhile, we're signing players to start ahead of them. And then you factor in the whole Joker business with Kenyon Drake paying him $11 million guaranteed, two times as much as Chris Carson, by the way, to play some wide receiver as well. Where are all these touches going? Who's getting all of these receptions and targets? Is this taking away from Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller? I guess so. Well, just wait until Josh Jacobs tells everybody he's getting 60 catches again like he did last season. Yeah, that, I guess that will happen this year. Now that they've added Kenyon Drake, who's supposedly <laughs> going to be this joker we really haven't seen in a long time. Um, so I did want to ask you uh, about the draft and the trade that we saw last week uh, between the – well kind of a three-way trade between the Dolphins, Eagles, and 49ers. So what do you think from the Dolphins' standpoint to go from 3 to 12 but back up to 6 and acquire two future first-round picks? Yeah, I I did love – I love the move both the San Francisco 49ers and the Miami Dolphins make that trade. I think the Miami Dolphins are obviously not in on the quarterback market going down from 3 to 12. Originally, they want to commit to Tua Tungvaluwa and two future first-round picks and a future third-round pick is a great price to go down those spots. What I don't understand is coming back up to six and trading away your 2022 first-round pick to do so. Is that And I, what I'm hearing is to make sure they get their guy at wide receiver or Kyle Pitts. Make sure 
they get in on this wide receiver class or get Kyle Pitts, the tight end of Florida. I just don't know if there's enough value there to trade a future first-round pick to make sure you go get your guy. In my opinion, that shows you're being a little bit overconfident in your valuation when you have a lot of mock drafts with how many quarterbacks are going to go inside the top 10, top 15. A lot of non-quarterbacks, a lot of talented guys like Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, these guys could fall to a 12. I don't think you need to give up that future first-rounder to go make that play. Anytime you're trading future first-round picks or high draft capital for non-quarterbacks, to go trade up for a non-quarterback, it's very difficult to get that value in return. You're going to tell me that the receiver you pick at six is going to be better than two first-round players, the one you get at 12 and obviously the one you traded away in 2022. That's very difficult to do. Like, How do you have one player being that much more valuable than two future first-round players? You know, you just talked about the quarterbacks, and obviously after Lawrence, I wanted to ask you this because it does appear – four more might go in the top 10 or 12 or whatever. I'm not going to say it's panic because you have to draft for need, but do you look at any of those guys and say they're just jumping on these guys because, you know, this is a quarterback class and they feel they must get someone? Is there anyone in that group where you're like, uh, you, you know, I don't know if he should go that high, but it's one of those years where everyone's going to take one just because, you know, they're there and, and, and they might, you know, in future years they might not be? I, I definitely think that, from what I'm hearing, Mac Jones might be going a lot higher than where I would take him. I think Mac Jones, very talented quarterback out of Alabama, a guy that's played a ton of good football, comparable as a prospect to Tua Tungabailoa, who obviously went in the top five, top ten a year ago. But I just don't think he is where the league is going. The league is trending towards mobile quarterbacks with big arms that can make all the throws, throw off platform, throw out of structure, etc. Not necessarily these guys that are more statuesque in the pocket, not going to add a ton as a runner, as an athlete, and don't have big arms. I think you, you know, the teams are looking for the next Mahomes, the next Josh Allen, the next Aaron Rodgers. They're not necessarily looking for the next Kirk Cousins or Derek Carr. And I think you can win a Super Bowl with a Derek Carr or Kirk Cousins on a rookie contract, which is obviously what you'd be getting in Mac Jones. But that's only if, if and only if, you have a supporting cast that can prop them up. I mean, the only reason the San Francisco 49ers went to a Super Bowl with Jimmy G a few years ago is because they had one of the best defenses the NFL has ever seen. They had very good supporting cast up front along the offensive line and at wide receiver. Now they're looking to kind of make a significant upgrade at the quarterback position. At least you have to hope so. So you can bring in a guy that where you don't need an elite supporting cast. You have an elite quarterback. I think that's what teams should be looking for. I think Mac Jones could be going higher than where I'd take him. And also, Trey Lance is an interesting discussion. You know, the guy that didn't have Really good accuracy at North Dakota State. Only averaged 18.3 dropbacks per game, even in the full 2019 season he played. He, you know, it's one of the few offenses in the NFL that runs the ball, or in college, that runs the ball more than they throw. He's going to be thrown into a completely different offense in the NFL. Has not had a ton of experience. Obviously, only played in one game in 2020. He's a big athlete with a big arm, but largely a project. And I think if you're going to buy into Trey Lance, you're probably not going to start him in year one. So him going significantly ahead of a guy like Jordan Love a year ago will be interesting to see. So what's your? how would you rank the top five, Trevor Lawrence, and then who's two through five? Right now I have Trevor Lawrence as my number one quarterback. I think he's the best quarterback in this class and the best quarterback we've seen over the past five, ten years from a prospect perspective. And then in a tier below him, I think I have Zach Wilson and then Justin Fields. Those two in a tier below him, I think both those quarterbacks would be number one overall picks in different classes. That's how good they are. I think those guys right now are two and three. And then Trey Lance comes in at four, kind of in a tier by himself, as similarly talented talented to a Fields and a Wilson, but not necessarily as ready because he hasn't played a lot of football, because he played in the FCS. And then after that, I have Mac Jones at five. You could, well, maybe you could see because it's Gruden and uh, Mayock drafting, but 
given all their needs and safety's one, and I, I assume Trayvon Warren's the only guy you take in the first round, could you ever see them going that route? I don't think so. I, one, you do not want to get any younger in the secondary, man. Gus Bradley, I think, wants a veteran at least at these safety. That's why I think maybe they're even comfortable having Jeff Heath back there. Who knows? But Trayvon <laughs> Mullen, just a third-year player. Damon Arnett, second-year player. Jonathan Abram, a third-year player, but missed his entire rookie season. You get younger and younger back there, it's going to lead to more mistakes, especially learning a brand-new system where they play a ton of single-high looks. They don't blitz a ton. You're going to have to hold up in coverage. I'd be very nervous to start, you know, even Trayvon Moore, as much as I like Trayvon Moore at TCU, to go in there with such a young secondary, with a lot of unproven guys, a lot of guys that need to get a lot better in 2021. I think they're better off going and getting Malik Hooker, who I think is still available in free. There's also, I think, Trey Boston. There's a handful of veteran free safety types that I think you could go get, and then that way you could prioritize a more valuable position in the first round, like either offensive tackle or edge defender. Austin, you've talked a lot to us about, uh, you know, the position and how you should value it when you're drafting guys in the first round. So I'm curious in that context, like how do you view Kyle Pitts as a top five, top ten pick? Yeah, it's definitely an interesting kind of evaluation, interesting conversation. I think tight end, when you look at the market, is one of the lowest paid positions in the NFL. And then you look at it from a value perspective, considering snaps played, targets, and that type of stuff, it's one of the lower valued positions on the football field compared to, you know, tackle, edge, quarterback, obviously, in those things. However, I do think it's interesting when you factor in positional scarcity. There's only three legitimate game-changing tight ends in the NFL. George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, and Darren Waller. Everyone else is meh or a little bit less than meh. You know, Evan Ingram's not changing a defensive coordinator's mind. You know, Mark Andrews isn't doing that. Dallas Goddard, Zach Ertz, like all these other tight ends aren't legitimately changing what your offense does. Travis Kelsey plays outside receiver, slot, and tight end. So does George Kittle and so does Darren Waller. These guys are difference makers for an offense, I think Kyle Pitts is viewed in that same light. Kyle Pitts is viewed as a guy that can come into the NFL and be a top-five player at his position right out of the gate. Biggest wingspan of any wide receiver or tight end in the NFL right now. Insane athlete, insane vertical, insane broad. This guy is a rare specimen, and teams want that edge that only three other teams in the NFL have right now in having that rare tight end. Well, then, and I know you said what you said about terms of trading up, if it's not a quarterback, how, how different, obviously, how different would his life, wouldn't he make Tua's life? I, I do think that it would make things a lot easier for Tua. I, I do think bringing in a weapon like him, having Will Fuller, Devontae Parker, Kyle Pitts, and that offensive line, you just need them to develop at that point. I do like Kyle Pitts at six. However, I still don't think Kyle Pitts, as good as he's going to be, would be objectively better than, say, the player you pick at 12, whether that's Devontae Smith, Rashawn Slater, whoever it may be, and then the player, obviously, you're giving up, trading away that 2022 first-rounder. It's just difficult for a non-quarterback to be as valuable as two players. That's, that's, that's a fact. I mean, that's from pure math. Like, you don't, he can't play 1,600 snaps. He can't play two positions. Like, if you just look at it from a math perspective, how is Kyle Pitts going to be better than, you know, two times better than a player? I just don't know if he can't. Uh, Austin, I did want to. I did want to wrap up with this. Uh, did the city of Cincinnati do anything to you? Oh man, the city of Cincinnati has done everything to me. I moved here from San Diego, California, sunny San Diego. I went to San Diego State, graduated in May 2017. Nine days later, I get this job with Pro Football Focus and Chris Collinsworth's favorite city in the world, Cincinnati, and it's done nothing but bad to me. Okay, the weather is bad and the food is somehow worse. That is what Cincinnati has done to me. So Skyline Chili is not uh, not high on your list of something you'd eat. Absolutely not. The fact that this city, it, it, what's funny is you'll talk to people in Cincinnati and they're like, Skyline Chili, you have to have it. You won't like it at first. 
but three or four times in, it'll be good. Oh, yeah, that's how I like food. I'd love to have food that after the fourth time, it tastes okay. That would be great. I, I can't wait to try it. Oh, come on. I mean, uh, talking to a San Diego State alum myself, it's, it's great to have you on each week. It's great to keep it in the family, Austin. <laughs> Absolutely, man. San Diego State, I miss the, miss the Cali burritos, all that stuff all the time. There's not a single good Mexican place out here in Cincinnati. <laughs> no, I wouldn't think there is. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Austin, we appreciate it. Thanks, Austin. Of course. Of course. Thank you. <laughs> oh, uh, the poor city of Cincinnati. Yes, he, he tweeted yesterday, the unwavering support Cincinnati has for the ill-fated Bengals and Reds is less of a shock uh, when you consider the entire city has convinced themselves Skyline Chili is good. <laughs> Someone posed this question online, and it was, if you live in Kentucky... What is the pro team that you have to look forward to? Because it's Cincinnati with the Reds and the Bengals, or it's the Memphis Grizzlies. I don't want to do this. No. I guess it'd have to be the baseball people. There's huge uh, Reds fans in Kentucky as bad as they are, though. I mean, I guess it would have to be that, right? I mean, maybe the Bengals with Burroughs are getting better now, but there's not a lot to choose from, as you say. Kentucky and Louisville, that's who they cheer for. Pro sports, get it out of here. Not important. All right, coming up next, the Dodgers might not win a game the entire season. Carlos Correa is hit. So he'll take first base. And that'll bring up Jordan Alvarez. Well, they wanted to go inside, and the look by Correa, I don't know that you know, they've got to be thinking about, you know, the fans and their chance of booze and all that, those things happening. But he's got a lot of padding on his left side. Lead leadoff first and second, the 0-2. Swing and a miss. Got him on the breaking ball, and that is the ball game. The Houston Astros win on opening day for the ninth consecutive year, defeating the Oakland A's tonight by a final of eight to one. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. What a great game yesterday. You get booed and then you beat the Oakland A's eight to one. Phenomenal. Uh, Ed, how do you feel about this stat line? Five and two thirds innings pitch, 10 hits, six runs allowed, five of them earned with only two strikeouts. I told you I was worried about him after the last uh, spring outing. <laughs> worried about this kid. He might he might he might have lost it. It might be over. Uh, they say he's going to end his career next year in Texas and go home. So yeah, here comes Chris Beard, Clayton Kershaw back to Texas because uh, yeah, I'm worried about him. I, I'm being honest. I mean, obviously, look, it's you know they're going to be fine. They're really probably they're the best team. But if you watch him in spring and now yesterday, if you're not like at least saying okay, you know where is he near the end? Uh, then you're just not watching. He hasn't been right in, you know, several years in terms of his younger career. And, you know, guys get old. I get that. But Kershaw right now, I I don't think he's I don't think he's right, man. I, I think he's his age is showing. And uh, I'm not sure how good he is anymore. Seriously. Um, he had two hits, though. Well, it's a like we said before the show, it's a bad day when he's, he's a better hitter. <laughs> he is a good hitter for a pitcher. You have to qualify that. But it's a bad day when he's a better hitter than pitcher. So how, how did you feel about Cody Bellinger hitting a two-run home run but not getting a two-run home run? Well, that's on Justin Turner. 
I mean, first of all, you should be you should lead off. You know, your lead should be enough in the secondary lead to where you can still get back no matter what. You could be three quarters of the way there and probably get back if you know what you're doing. So I don't know what he was thinking, especially in Colorado. If it's in the air, the odds are it's gone. Um, weird, weird um, uh, scoring there. I, I thought I knew what it was, and I knew it was going to be a single, but I've not seen that very often. Have you ever seen that? I've never actually seen that. Um, not that I can remember. For those of you that don't know, Cody Bellinger hit a home run yesterday while Justin Turner was on first base. Justin Turner, though, was running around second base and thought the ball was caught and turned around and started sprinting back towards first and Cody Bellinger passed Justin Turner and you can't pass your teammate on the base pass. So Cody Bellinger ultimately is ruled out. Justin Turner gets to score and Cody Bellinger, who hit the ball over the fence, got a one RBI single instead of a two-run home yeah. run. If he misses, I'll tell you what, if he misses the home run, uh, the home run, home run king by uh, one home run, it's not going to be good, oh, man. If he if he poor, if he misses the lead by one, it's not going to be poor good. Cody Bellinger. He's too bad. To blame Justin Turner. He now re, he re, yeah he reswitch he redid his swing in in spring. He comes up and hits a home run, and that's what he gets. I don't know if I've ever been more angry watching two random teams play baseball than I was yesterday watching the Colorado Rockies because the Colorado Rockies at one point against the Dodgers attempted a sack bunt in three straight plate appearances. Oh, this would have put you over the oh, edge. Oh, I it, it this did. This would have put you it over did. the edge. It did. I was This curious. is worse for you than this is worse for you than uh Basketball coaches calling timeout in the last. Oh, it's it's brutal because at least basketball coaches calling timeouts think they're going to have a positive impact. Bunting does not. The Rockies got a leadoff triple, right? So there's a runner on third with nobody out, and they decide, all right, let's bunt that guy home, and it worked. The runner scored, and Justin Turner just missed the ball, so the runner was safe at first as well. Uh, But then the next batter comes up, and he's trying to bunt the guy from first to second, and he pops it up. And then the third guy comes up, and he's also trying to bunt the guy from first to second. He It worked, and they got a guy to second. But the Rockies just, they, they got a leadoff triple and then decided, we're just going to give the Dodgers two free outs. Just here's two free outs. We don't want to try to score more than that one run. Here's two free outs. That's all we want. What in the hell are they doing? Like, that's, that's it, worse than taking a mid-range jumper on every possession of a game. It's weird, but they successfully they successfully showed us how you can win in a game eight five and be the worst team in baseball. Oh no doubt. So about it. they're horrible. Um, and like I said, for the Dod- Dodgers, were terribly ashamed. Uh, Mookie misplays a five ball, a foul ball, a, or a fly ball, and a triple. They strand fourteen runners. Turney's, you know, Turner can't do the bunt. Seager's kicking a ball. Kershaw's horrible. So I looked at that game. I'm like, all right, but the Rockies are really showing, even though they're winning, that they stink. Yes, they were they they were never comfortable until the no. final out was made in that game. There was no. always well, the bases were loaded with the bats yeah. up. It was yes, it was yeah. Until until they actually get the last out here, the Rockies might actually blow this. Um, so I'll I'll give you this prediction, Ed. The Dodgers now that they're zero and one, and the Padres are one and zero. The Dodgers will never be in first place the entirety of the season. Oh my God! And the Kings are going to win the Stanley Cup for you. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Okay. Listen, listen. If the Dodgers lose again tonight and the Padres go up two games, it's it's never happening. They are. Is they it are, over? It's it. The Padres are going to run away with the division. So the Dodgers at that point just beat him as the wild card. 
Well, yeah, that might happen too. Or the Dodgers yeah. lose because they start Kershaw in the wild card game and he gives up 10 hits and six runs to a team like the okay. Rockies. I don't know much, but I'm telling you, I'm going to make this prediction. Like the Kings make the playoffs, Clayton Kershaw will not start game one of the playoffs. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, you guys are going to use him in the wild card game thinking you can yeah, get by. And he's going to hurt without, his back. Yeah, without using Walker Bueller or Trevor Bauer, Trevor you're going to think, oh, we can sneak by with Clayton Kershaw. And then he gives up seven runs in two and a third, and you're like, oh, the season's over.